Imagine More is a weekly podcast that explores the stories, passions, successes, and failures of young, unconventional entrepreneurs. Chantel works to uncover the person behind the passion and unpack the ingredients of their entrepreneurial minds. What is it that makes them imagine more? Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode of Imagine More. Today, we are here with CBQ. He is the managing member of Kelp Engine, an advisory services company to technology firms. In this role, he serves as an advisor, board member, and fractional CTO. He is a co-owner and the principal at Big Nerd Ranch, formed to be a merger in 2012. Big Nerd Ranch teaches immersive app development bootcamp courses, writes best-selling books, and builds apps for companies of all sizes. Look forward to diving in. Welcome back to this week's episode of Imagine More. Today we are here with CBQ. He is the managing member of Kelp Engine, an advisory services company to technology firms. In this role, he serves as an advisor, board member, and fractional CTO. He is a co-owner and the principal at Big Nerd Ranch, formed to be a merger in 2012. Big Nerd Ranch teaches immersive app development bootcamp courses, writes best-selling books, and builds apps for companies of all sizes. Look forward to diving in. Hey, everyone. We are so excited to have CBQ on the show today. CBQ, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm eager and excited to engage with the listeners and tell them more about your journey and what makes you imagine more. Can you kick it off with telling everyone how you got started and what's been keeping you busy right now? Yeah, sure thing. Um, Well, again, thanks for having me. I've been a big fan of Imagine Media and the work that you guys are doing for quite some time. And uh, regular listener of the podcast, so I appreciate you uh, taking me on. Uh, I have been uh, an entrepreneur uh, my entire life. Uh, that means I'm constantly trying to start things and and failing quite quite good at them. Um, but uh, when I got out of college, uh, I went to school for computer science and just loved computers, uh, grown up around them. And uh, I knew I wanted to, to build software and technology, just fascinated by it still to this day. Um, and I tried to start a company. And it failed miserably. Uh, it was a way too big for my britches, an idea around putting computers in cars. Um, you know, I did all these inappropriate things like uh, have a, a version of the business cards before I had a lick of revenue. Um, and so I, I learned a ton of like what not to do. Uh, but it was great practice. Uh, I went and, and did consulting uh, for a software company where I learned how to go on site. And because I was pretty personable and good at the job, uh, the company would put me on the, the worst clients, the clients that were super upset. And so I'd come on site and uh, try and diagnose what's going wrong. Uh, that's where I learned really, you know, hardcore consulting and training and teaching. Loved that job. Uh, had the opportunity to start another company with a friend of mine. Uh, another idea that was way too big for its britches. Um, had bad timing in the market. Uh, way too early. Had a great experience, though. And that uh, led me to... to um, to start my own thing, uh, right at the, on the sort of tails of that failing, um, I knew that I was good at consulting, and so I made the leap to go and start doing that. And what was crazy about that is that I did everything the opposite. So, for instance, I didn't have a business plan. Uh, I didn't have any business cards. I remember printing some business cards off, like in, on the printer, and sort of running out the door for the first networking event I went to. I remember sort of 
in the previous businesses that failed, I, you know, I met with a banker because I was told that that was sort of, you know, set up the bank and all that stuff. In the in the business I started called High Groove at the time, I, I didn't do any of that. In fact, I remember the very first time I set up a bank account was when I had two checks that said High Groove on there. And I was like, ah, I can't cash these. I guess I should form a <laughs> bank account. So doing everything the opposite and doing it last minute and really focusing on value and being useful um, was the epiphany for me. So I started that company, High Groove, uh, grew it to about... Uh, 26 people, uh, probably about three million in revenue, and uh, it met with a was was regularly working with a friend of mine. At the time, we ran a company called Big Nerd Ranch, and uh, we uh, had been working together. We even had similar projects. We were doing training, and uh, one of the things that was happening is that my people um, in my company were wanting to expand in other areas: design, mobile apps. We were building a lot of the backends to the, these software, these mobile apps, and things, and they would do the front end, and so. Uh, as uh, and our clients kept asking for more and more services, and so um, uh, it and, and a number of other funny stories that for another day. But we uh, decided to merge, and so we merged uh, in November of 2012, uh, and we formed a Big Nerd Ranch. It was a, a bigger brand and better name, and we took uh, a lot of the operational excellence and the culture and everything and combined the two companies. And um, it continues to this day. It's a great company, and. Um, I served as CEO for two years. I grew the company along with my co-founder Aaron Hilligus, who's a brilliant uh, entrepreneur as well. Um, and uh, I stepped down to serve on the board. Uh, and I came back recently for a project, uh, so that's what I'm doing now. I'm a principal at Big Nerd Ranch. I help connect uh, good companies to us, as well as I serve on the board of a couple other companies uh, as an investor and an advisor. Uh, so all that uh, brings us to today, where uh, I, I serve on the board of Lawn.com, a uh, small brewery. Uh, and I have a number of uh, other investments that I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully working on and can announce pretty soon. That's great. That's very exciting. And I want to dive into the merge between High Groove and Big Nerd, but diving back a little further first. So you mentioned college was the first stab at your first business. Were you raised in an entrepreneurial family? Um, were you inspired by entrepreneurs growing up or someone around you that sparked that interest in starting something on your own? My father was uh, always very entrepreneurial. Even to this day, he has a private practice. He's a psychologist, and he's done um, everything from private practice, small consulting. Uh, you know, in fact, a, a fond memory I have is is an office he he rented, and we remember I remember us tearing down one of the walls so that he could have a little receptionist area to to see patients, uh, and and still having the sort of sign outside, uh, you know, Doctor Quinn. Uh, so, uh, but even before that, um, one of my really formative memories is that, you know, one of the things that my parents taught me, both my mom, who's a nurse and my dad, who's a psychologist and very entrepreneurial is that, uh, value is created. I think a lot of people incorrectly assume that when you have a business, that it's a zero sum game and that you have to take money or take investment or take something from someone in order to produce something else. And, What's, what's crazy about that is that the thing that taught me that is when we were very young, this is late 80s, we started a recycling business. And so the concept was really simple. We sent out these flyers to everybody along my street in my neighborhood, and this is in, in uh, Gwinnett County in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was, we told them, hey, instead of throwing away everything, there's, you know, you can recycle glass and plastics. And again, this was late 80s. So there was one place downtown where you could you could take this stuff and, and get a little bit of money for it, you know, cans and things like that. So we co-opted my mom's van, and every weekend on Sunday, we would drive up and down and go and collect items from everybody, and people loved it because 
Um, you know, they were just like, you know, we, we had, we searched saving the environment. It was very good. And then we would take it to the um, uh, recycling place and get a little bit of money. And it was crazy. I remember thinking like, wow, like we basically created money and value and this like need and the service out of what was other people's trash. And so to me, it always told me that like, again, value is, can be created from anything. Um, if you provide a valuable service, if you have something that you're doing, like you can create something from nothing and that it isn't always something that you take. So uh, again, parents who always supported me in my, in my endeavors, I do tease my dad who was a child psychologist and I tell him, man, you know, dad, I would be so much more successful if I had some kind of terrible traumatic event that I had to overcome as a child. And, and he laughs and says, uh-huh. Um, you know, knowing that as a child psychologist, we were he, he definitely dealt with some pretty tricky situations and kids who really had traumatic events. So as much as we laughed about it, you know, it's recognizing the fact that I am very lucky and blessed to have such a idyllic childhood. But yeah, absolutely. Lots of formative lessons growing up in entrepreneurism and the family. I love what you mentioned that value is created and, and you come from a service background and correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the companies you've been involved in and advised are service-based companies, correct? That is true. I love consulting. Uh, I think, um, you know, providing a service and taking what I would consider to be individual contributors who have knowledge, giving them a process and a, a, a better team and a culture and tools and, and techniques. It, it just gives me chills um, to see that happening. You know, um, I do. I, I love service businesses. I love professional services businesses. I love training businesses. Um, and partly that stems from my personality. You know, I, I think that the way you'd say that negatively is that I, I enjoy pleasing people. I think the way you say that positively is, is that I love empowering people and I love being the hero. So, you know, nothing gives me um, higher satisfaction than someone saying, hey, you and your team did a great job. Uh, you know, I, you helped us achieve X. And, um, you know, to get paid for doing that is kind of like a a double double whammy, as you know, as a, a service business too. It's 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 fun and it's exciting and, and you know, I love it. That's great. Well, I'd love to dive back into that merge, uh, the merger, and I imagine that was an, a new experience for you and and one that you hadn't done before. Was there something that like a big takeaway you took from it, or um, like the biggest lesson you learned from that experience specifically? Sure. Um, many, many lessons. Um, you know, for me, um, again, it was the right move for our clients, um, our, our customers. Um, it was the right move for our team. It was the right move for me personally. If, since you asked, I'm very achievement focused, very goal oriented. And, you know, I was at the time I had made the decision a few years before to start on an entrepreneurial journey and, and really to, for a big deal, it was a big deal for me to take that role of the CEO uh, and to not be the, the sole developer or the sole sort of individual contributor. So I, I took that on. And, and one of the goals I had was to grow a business and a company. And there were certain milestones, you know, number of people, revenue, clients. A lot of those were um, uh, things that I, I wanted to do and, and set because the challenges become more. I love the challenge of uh, trying to grow something and and uh, lead it and guide it. And um, to me, it was a fantastic challenge. As for exact learnings, you know, if I could sort of give, if I could sort of give advice to someone considering a, a partnership, a, a merger, an acquisition, a sell, buy sell, um, your culture is super important. And when when people look at at Big Nerd Ranch and and the previous company that I'd ran called High Groove. 
um, you know, it was funny because people would say things like, oh, that's, oh, yeah, that totally, that makes sense. I I'm, I see that y'all merged. In fact, that's funny. I saw all of y'all eating lunch the other day. We did. We had offices right down the street, so we would always eat lunch. We'd do lunch and learns, and, you know, half the ranch office would be in ours, and then we'd go over to the to, to the big, to the high group office and, and do another one. So our cultures were very, very similar, and that's hugely important, hugely important. Um, but But what I will also say is that despite all of the similarities you know, when as the as the main sort of CEO and, and foster of the culture and, and proponent of it, when I look at it, it's like the back of my hand. I know it to, you know, down to the very, very, very core of it. And so there are slight differences and there were slight differences um, that, um, you know, came about and really have to be modified and looked at. And we had a number of ways that we we uh, we did that. But, you know, interestingly enough, a lot of the the cultures between the two, there were there were things that were very very similar, but things that were quite uh, in a in a superficial way different uh, that we had to rectify and really embrace and and put together and 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 it ultimately it it did become a better organization, a better culture for the combining. Uh, but in the beginning, you know, a lot of people were like, "Well, wait, why did we do things that way?" And others were like, "Oh, I see. I don't see why we." Well, we did it that way, and it had to do with differing with small, small things with the culture. So culture is huge. Um, you know, that's what I would I would say if uh, if, if uh, as a, as a learning for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the culture in general it's really fascinating, and we put a lot of intention in our culture at Imagine Media as well because you know people want to go to a place where they enjoy and they're inspired every day and excited. Um, but sometimes I think. You know, thinking of the Googles and the the really techie places, like scooters, for some reason, come to mind when I think about company culture, ping pong tables. Um, but even I would love to kind of dive deeper into what your thoughts are in a successful culture in a company, and what were like some of the framework that you guys put up, um, whether that's the hiring process or just diving deep into what you looked for in people and what was important as you guys continued to build that culture. Yeah, that's a great point. On on the culture, there there are things that I would call uh, cultural artifacts, right? Which are all the things that really kind of surmise how you operate. Um, you know how how the things that you do influence uh, the services and the business and even the customers. When I think about a company's culture and some of the things we're doing, I think it has a lot to do with. Um, just all the little things that kind of add up. So you mentioned, you know, a ping pong table, and and it's kind of it may be sort of trite these days to have a software company and and not have a ping pong table. But what what to me is the sort of higher level cultural artifact is what what does that by having one what does that show? And to me that that the cultural implication of having that would be um, we value either people who work hard and play hard um, and who um, you know enjoy. Uh, a, a, a balance in, in life work that it may be a little mixed. Um, and so those are kind of interesting things when you think about it, um, as well as the, the scooters. It's, it's interesting on, on that when you have a sort of big office and, you, and people are constantly, you want them to get around and contribute and collaborate because there's, as, as your company grows, you'll, you'll, I've noticed myself that sometimes people will be like, hey, um, I just, you know, realized we should be doing X, and you're like, wait, I thought that was what we were already doing, and that that was already operationalized. So you need to get people out there, sort of talking. And one of the ways was was to get scooters so that you know they they can scoot over to someone's desk or someone's office or or, or be able to do that, and as well go get snacks and get right back to being in the zone. So in terms of of culture, what we've done a lot of things like um, I'll give you a good example. One that I really love is 
you know, and, and I, I admire your culture too. I've having interacted with uh, many of your employees. I think you guys do very well at this. Um, you want to reinforce uh, the culture constantly as a CEO and then as your senior leaders. One of the ways we do that is via the an award. We call it Nerd of the Moment, and uh, anyone can award it to anyone. And what you do is uh, it's uh, it's fun because of course we built software to do this. But in our Slack channel, it you know pings and says, oh, you know, John has been awarded the Nerd of the Moment. And then what you do is you take a core value. Our core values are brilliant, kind, hardworking. And you relate the award to how that person has exemplified one of those core values. And in doing so, what you do is you reinforce uh, the behavior, um, and you're also helping the company both reinforce it um, from that. And, and it becomes this self-perpetuating uh, sort of thing. But uh, you know, culture is something that you always have to work at. There are things that we would never do, like, uh, for instance, um, you know, free car washes. It's like a perk that uh, we think is silly. And uh, for a bunch of bicyclists, but but probably not something that we would would value or even fits in with with what we do because um, you know we we feel like hey when you're separated your way or things like that. So um, I'm a big proponent of it, and and uh, it's something that you always have to work for, um, even as you try and grow your product and value. I love that, and I I don't know if you've heard of our our Nate. Have you heard of Nate? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So certainly I'm sure we got this idea from, um, the nerd of the moment, but we have a a weekly light bulb. And at one point we thought our icon was going to be a light bulb and it symbolized, you know, illuminating or imagination. So illuminate or imagination. So we coined this, um, light bulb that now sits on, you know, someone's desk in the office, Nate, and he gets passed down every week to someone who exemplifies those core values. And it's announced publicly in our company meeting every week. Um, And then that person's responsible at the end of each day to kind of tell the entire company a fun fact about them and uh, a strength or weakness of theirs, just that we can continue to get to know them better. But um, I love the idea of, you know, people can award someone else something. Um, So I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, you know, one of the things to jump in on there is I think one of the hardest things to do as a CEO and as a leader, as you know, is that um, I almost feel like it's my job to course correct, um, you know, things in a in a persuasive uh, sort of motivational way, um, you know, and, and luckily, you know, when you build a good, strong culture and you exemplify it, it's it's uh, you don't have to do this often. But I. I it's one of the harder things that I, I think to learn as a leader as the company grows. You know, when, when someone gets the award for, for something and you say, you know, I, I just give you an example. One of the core values is kind and kindness. And you would think, um, and I've learned this the hard way, that at, at Bigger Ranch, that when someone does something um, and, you know, that, that might not be appropriate for the client, like maybe skipped a few steps or something like that, you know, you could sort of say, well, I just want to be kind and I'm not, not going to say anything, you know, because that'd be the kind thing to do. And what you realize is that, like, true level five kindness would be for you to call them out and to say, hey, listen, um, what you did, um, you know, I know you can do better. Um, and, you know, this was inappropriate. And, you know, in, in me being kind, the kindest thing I can do is, is really point it out to you. And it's almost counterintuitive, but um, you really have to be that exemplar of that. And so making those tiny course corrections and learning as a CEO when to do it, you know, praise public and uh, criticize private or deliver what I would call critical feedback uh, privately. All these things are, are, are learned over time, and I, I usually get those right sometimes. <laughs> well, speaking on those, have they gotten easier? I, I mean, I think there's, um, it's very honorable to have these tough conversations and certainly needed in a growing company. Uh, do they get easier in time? 
Well, I wish the answer was yes, but what I will tell you is that um, what I think happens, uh, having experienced this myself, is that uh, you start to pattern recognize some of these behaviors uh, or some of these things that you've heard. You know, I, I've been really lucky in that, um, I'll give you an example, I've been involved in two peer groups, and I know that, uh, Chantal, you're involved in one of them, uh, EO and EO Accelerator. Those have been instrumental in, in leveling me up. I've, I've joined another called YPO a couple years ago, and one of the things that's interesting being in these peer groups is um, the, the challenges that um, CEOs and senior leaders and C-level execs and founders and entrepreneurs focus, or actually not focus, but seem to encounter some of the problems are still the same. Maybe the stakes are a little higher, but it doesn't seem like it. And I'll give you an example. Like I remember, you know, when uh, you know, I first starting out, I remember getting a, a desk at a place and, and paying six hundred dollars a month in rent and being like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can afford that. Like six hundred dollars, like that's a lot. And then and then we got our next office and it was twelve hundred. And I thought of the same thing. I was like, man, that's a lot, twelve hundred. Um, you know, and and grow and and we kept growing, kept growing, and the numbers sort of became. Uh, sort of higher, but the, the the thought was the same. It was like, oh man, that that seven year lease goes up to forty k a month. Man, that's that seems like a lot, but yet we kept going. And so the the maybe the numbers become relative, and the and the the challenges become bigger, uh, but the the concepts are still the same. You think about things like partnership. Should we partner with this person or this company? Should we part ways with this person or this company or this group or this division or this office? And so. I, I like to think that maybe some parts of it do, and maybe you get better. Uh, but there are certain things that I, I don't want to get better at, mm-hmm. firing people, right. for example. <laughs> no, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's interesting, uh, just to reflect on on that piece a little bit uh, with the rent example. Um, you know, every new hire is, you know, we've gone through the process, so now we know how to do it. But it's still the same thought behind, like, is it the right time? Or, you know, is this the right next step? And um, I'm glad that you mentioned that because... Sometimes that reflection is nice to say, okay, you know, people are going through the same things and it's just a di- maybe a different, at a different scale. I think what, what uh, that means to me, and, and you've said it very eloquently, uh, I'll, I'll recap my own sort of thoughts, is that at some point as, in the entrepreneurial journey as you're, you're, you know, people that are listening and, and starting a company and taking these risks, um, there's two things that I use to make decisions, and maybe people do this and maybe they don't, but there's data and there's gut. And what I think happens when you have more experience is that um, you're able to, again, recognize the data that is important, and then you're also able to, in your gut, sort of just say, like, this feels right. Um, and so there's been several times where, um, you know, I've, I've, you know, hired somebody and I was just, there's one in particular that I remember where it was like, uh, I, I remember interviewing this person and being like, this person is totally unlike me. Um, absolutely loves doing the things that I hate doing. Um, you know, almost to the point where I was like, I don't know if I could, uh, you know, I can relate to them as, 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 um, as, as, um, somebody I'd have a beer with and, you know, whatever other metrics you sort of use to think about it, but that they were just completely different. And I was like, I have to hire this person. Um, ended up being one of the best hires I've ever made. There's a lot of those out there, but really sort of recognizing that the gut was sort of like, this person is smart and get thing, gets things done. And knowing that, that uh, you know, mistakes are pretty easy to course correct. Uh, but what is not easy to correct is indecision. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a great point. When you mentioned kind of grabbing a beer with someone, um, would love to tell the listeners a little bit about that coffee machine you guys have. Can you tell everyone a little bit about about the coffee machine and the training you guys go through. Sure. And, you know, I will tell you that um, 
one of the sort of values that comes out of being brilliant and and uh, very good at your craft is one of the the, the sub values is craftsmanship. And so for at, at Big Nerd Ranch, you know, we have a commercial espresso machine. Uh, our friends at Octane, which is now Revelator, um, uh, we've always been good friends with them, and they've they hooked us up with the machine. And and what we always do is that you have to be trained on the machine. Um, and the idea around that is it, it relates back to another cultural artifact: is that um, if you are going to have a cup of coffee, why not make it a good one? You know, why not care about the craft and understand how it was made? And so. We nerd out about coffee at Bigner Ranch. You know, again, you, when you go to the machine, it's it is the com- a commercial La Marzocco espresso machine, um, and you do have to be trained to to pull a shot. Um, and nerds are happy to do that for you. You can schedule that, and you know, and uh, get barista trained and certified. And so we do. We take that pretty seriously. There's also an app, uh, you know, an, an iPad, so that you can know when the last bit of like a drip, a drip coffee. We have that as well. We have tons of pour overs. Uh, we even have an iced coffee kegerator. So again, I think we take it a little too seriously. But the idea again around it is that you know when you value craftsmanship and um, uh, and really truly you know good things, like why have a terrible cup of coffee when you could have a very good one? And, and again, it, it you can pick and choose your battles. Uh, you know, if, if your company's not into into that, doesn't mean you have to go get one. But it fit with our culture and. And it, it fit with our, our mantra of, of really the craftsmanship and understanding how things are made. And so you see that a lot in our company. We, we tend to go a little overboard on stuff like that, but it, it, all, it all bubbles up. That all makes sense. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, it's making me kind of want a cup of coffee. Um, I would love to switch gears a little bit to the personal side. Um, and I know you have a lot of projects and a lot of things you're really passionate about. Can we tap into the balance and how you found a balance in your life being a serial entrepreneur? I'm not sure that I have a good uh, balance between personal and life, but um, maybe we could ask my wife. One of the things that I do think is a strength of mine, but also as a weakness, is that I'm pretty intense and I can become pretty focused and obsessed. My wife has learned not to ask me anything when I'm on the computer, which is most of the time, uh, sadly. But... um, I, I will say that uh, one of the ways I've been able to do it is is I am pretty goal oriented, pretty systematic. So I do tend to make time for family and friends. I, I'll schedule things. Uh, you know, my even my sort of weekends are sort of blocked. I'm like, oh, cool, we're gonna go to lunch, or and I even schedule like, oh, call grandma. Um, so um, yeah, I have to have come up with a goal uh, on the real on the sort of personal level. I mean, I'll give you an example. I um, have recently gotten back into running, and you know, I made it a goal of mine to. Um, run a half marathon because I'd never done it and then it became a, a full marathon and so you know I have to work backwards from the goal um, so I, I put in a you know marathon, marathon training program and then I just do it um, because I, I, I want the goal so badly that it's easy for me to work backwards you know another goal I have and to get personal is you know I always want a better relationship with my wife to be more in sync with my family and uh, so I know what that is and I know what that looks like so I've described it as a personal goal you know big on goals so, you know, some of the things I, we do is, um, and she'll laugh, and I hope she's, when she listens to this, she hears, but we have a family meeting where we go over, uh, you know, I, I've even prepared a deck for it. It's somewhat embarrassing, but, uh, you know, I go over the finances and sort of what we spend and what we're doing, and it, it, it ultimately bubbles up better goals. Like, we realized we weren't as charitable as we thought, um, and so then it becomes a better goal for us to say, oh, man, we're really not being as charitable. We're not donating our time and our money. Um, and so that's what we do out of out of those meetings. We have more goals about like, hey, let's go volunteer more at ACFB or let's up our you know recurring subscription and let's both become 
donating members to NPR, which we are, and and just doing more. Uh, but yeah, regularly, uh, it's going to sound like I'm treating my my life like a business, but it works for me. I love that. And I appreciate you being vulnerable and telling us about the pitch deck. And um, it seems like you're very intentional about your time and the energy you put into things. Have you always written down your goals or are they just, are they primarily in your head? I'm a huge proponent of goal setting and writing down your goals. And I've been pretty systematic around those. And it's interesting to look back, um, you know, uh, five-year goals and and revising those every year I do goals around uh, December, uh, January and for the year. And then what's great about doing that is, you know, I, the other day I was sitting there and, and, uh, you know, like my to-do list was ever flowing and I sort of was like, man, what do I do? What do I start? I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I'm working on this. I got this meeting later today. And, um, what's nice is I have a weekly reminder that pops up that says, Hey, make sure you're moving forward on your goals. So, you know, I looked at my to-do list and I was like, Oh, I got to you know pay the cleaners and, take this and do that and buy this. And then I looked at my personal goals and, you know, um, I, I saw, uh, you know, a goal to, 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 to help, you know, bigger ranch in a certain way. And I was like, you know what, it, it, that means that I don't need to do any of these other things that I should just go ahead and do this right now. This one thing that I can move this one thing forward. So, um, that is something that I've not been traditionally good at. And I am pretty terrible about, I can, I can pull up the to-do list and just do random stuff. But one of the books I've, I recently, um, you know, read and, and that has been really influencing and I ended up presenting on it to one of my peer groups is uh, Essentialism. Um, great read by Greg McCowan. And, um, you know, it, it is really about that and that, you know, the concept that when you're looking at the things in your life that you must do, it isn't really about doing them all. You know, there's no way, you know, time is infinite or time is finite and resources are finite. So trying to find what I would consider uh, the, the pitch line of the book is, you know, the most essential items and doing those, you know, the, the, there's a quote about, you know, uh, if you if you can find those things and regularly work towards them, that they can some some of the to do's that you can do can suddenly eliminate all the rest of them. You know, if you were just to do the highest impact thing and it's tough. Um, I struggle with this as a leader, but some of the best leaders I know do this on a day to day basis. So that also is motivating for me is thinking about what would the people that I admire and, and do do as well. And that's motivating. So no, I haven't always been like that. And I think I can always get better. Well, yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that book. It's been sitting on my bedside table. I'm due to read it. I've just finished up a book called The One Thing. And it sounds like there's some common threads there. Um, And it talked about high performance tasks and really the tasks that pay off and will get you closer to where you're trying to go as opposed to, you know, do the laundry, you know, the small things that ultimately have to be done, but not right away and not because you just want to cross it off the list, uh, which I think there's some power there. And well, well, CBQ, I've got two questions to wrap it up. And the first being, what is next on the horizon for you? I knew you were going to ask something like this, having listened to your, your, your podcast. Um, you know, I, I have a couple things that I'm working on. you know, I've, I've started a, a small advisory company called Kelp Engine and, and, it's basically the, the advisory services of CBQ, and it's what I use for my investment vehicle in Law.com and some of the other companies I do. Um, I, um, in addition to sort of helping, addition to helping Big Nerd Ranch, um, you know, which is one of the companies I own and, and sit on the board of, um, you know, there's other companies that need uh, my help and that I am finding a ton of value with. A couple of them are sort of top secret. So I hate doing that because I'm generally not a top secret person, but we just haven't gotten ever all the uh, 
the, 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 the trademarks and all that stuff uh, that, you know, is either important or not, depending on what you think. I'm less concerned about those, but as out of respect for the others. Um, but yeah, there's a couple other things. Uh, you know, for me, it's always tr- uh, using technology and using um, people, um, not using, but leveraging people's strengths to build um, neat things that, 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 um, that, that can, do- you know, create value. So look for more from loan.com, look for more from Kelp Engine and our investments in some technology companies uh, here. Uh, a generic answer, but Stay tuned. Yeah. Well, I feel like because I didn't didn't catch you off guard with that one, we need to just add a, a fun one in there. Is there anything you want to tell the audience or you want to share or a fun quote or just a pet peeve or quirk that you are open to sharing? To wrap it up. Ha. Huh. You know, um, I think you just, just what I would say is that if you are out there thinking about starting something or you believe that you have a business idea um, you know, th- one of the things that I think has been pretty influential is just understanding that what you think, if there, if you have a belief that there's a better way to do something, whether it's a build software or to train developers or get your lawn mowed, um, that that is the, probably the most important thing. It isn't the cultural artifacts yet. It isn't um, the people that you hire yet. Um, I think the fundamental belief that there is a better way to do something is one of the most important things. As my a good friend of mine, Kyle Porter, Salesloft says, he says sales is simply the transference of a fundamental belief in the product. Um, you know, and and so yeah, when you when you when you truly believe that what you have is a better way to do something, you have to get it out. Um, and I know that entrepreneurs come in all sizes, shapes, forms, and people but ultimately it's the belief that there's a better way to do something and when you truly believe that nothing can get in your way and uh, I feel when I feel that way often enough about something I I I love to join and start and co-opt and create and um, I'll continue doing that as long as I can so I I hope that's useful to your audience uh, and I appreciate it thank you and last but not least how can people get in touch with you learn more about what you have going on Sure. I have a shameless self-promotional site. It's cbq.com, except instead of a C, you'd put S-E-E. So S-E-E-B-Q.com. And you can find links to my Twitter, which I'm on. But as uh, Chantel knows, I, I'm a poor social media uh, uh, follower and uh, proponent. And I have a strategy to get back on that I've sent her. Um, and she says it's good, but now it's time to, time to enact it. Um, so I, you can find me on Twitter. I, I tend to tend to, to poke around on there, but uh, it's com. Great. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me.